In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. It's all about guns in the governor's race. Criminals don't care what the law say. We're trying to give our citizens the law-abiding ability to protect and defend themselves. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm Greg Bluestein with Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC and the co-hosts of this podcast. Coming up later... We'll dig into Saturday's Senate debate and what was said about Herschel Walker and his empty podium. But Patricia, we both heard from Brian Kemp and David Perdue on Tuesday, and it's starting to get a little more tense. It's starting to get a little more tense. I went to the Capitol on Tuesday morning because we knew that David Perdue was giving sort of a pre-buttle to a press conference that Governor Kemp had planned about his uh, plan to sign the constitutional carry bill that is uh, now letting Georgians carry a concealed weapon without a permit. A permit had been required every five years to carry that concealed weapon. That requirement is gone. So I went to see David Perdue. I thought he would mostly stick to talking about uh, constitutional carry. It is actually a piece of policy that they both agree on. And uh, Purdue said he would have signed that bill, would have done it sooner. And um, so without much else to discuss on that front, he really lit into Kemp about crime in Georgia and really laying at the feet of this governor, the increased crime rate all over the state. He said it doesn't, it's not limited to Georgia. I'm sorry, it's not limited to Atlanta. It's all over Georgia. It's in middle Georgia, where his family is originally from. And um, they went through a series of deficiencies, in his opinion, of Governor Kemp. And one area that really caught my attention was his criticism of the Georgia State Patrol. Because if you listen to Governor Kemp, the state patrol is really the crown jewel of law enforcement. As he describes it, he's very proud of the state patrol. He leans on the state patrol and has during this crime wave in Atlanta in particular. And so to hear Purdue go after the Georgia State Patrol, say that it needed to be returned to its elite status, that it's not elite anymore, and kids used to want to grow up to be in the state patrol and they don't feel that way anymore. Um, That to me was a really new front, new criticism of Kemp. And it certainly got uh, the governor's reaction very quickly. Yeah. And you set it up perfectly because it was a new front. We have, we've heard David Perdue take a lot of shots at, at the governor for different various reasons. We've heard him oppose the Rivian electric vehicle plant. We've heard him talk about his support for Buckhead Cityhood. We've heard him, of course, on Trump-related issues, um, uh, promoting uh, election fraud lies and issues like that. We've even heard him egg on the lock him up chance about Governor Kemp. But what we haven't heard is him take a swipe at the Georgia State Patrol. Let, let's listen to that audio. 
we've got to get our state patrol back to the elite level that it always was. Somehow it's been let to deteriorate by a lack of leadership from the governor's office in the last three years, in my opinion. If you look at the state of North Carolina alone, they have more than twice the number of state troopers that we have in Georgia. This is something that needs to be worked on, and I promise that that's one thing that I'll focus on. So, Patricia, you heard him um, basically questioning if the Georgia State Patrol was still an elite unit under Governor Kemp's leadership. Here's what he told me, the governor, um, out in Douglasville shortly after signing into law a gun rights expansion. Well, look, I, I don't, you know, in campaigns, I, I'm used to being attacked, especially by people that don't have their own record to talk about, but I'm not going to allow people to attack the Georgia State Patrol. They're elite men and women that have been serving our state admirably uh, for a long time. If you think back to civil unrest, when I'm sure he was at home in his bed, we were at the State Operations Center at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and state resources were the ones that were keeping the city of Atlanta from being burned down, including our state patrol. I mean, that's unacceptable. They also served as well during COVID, and I don't even have to mention all the statistics that we did the other day that hopefully you all have that we have done over the last year with our crime suppressing unit. And I will remind you that when we started this over a year ago, there was nobody else in that fight, but the Georgia State Patrol came up with that plan. So to call them not elite is outrageous. Now, Patricia, normally a governor would not want to distract attention away from a major bill signing, um, and he signed what he calls constitutional carry, uh, what's more broadly known as permitless carry, which is a bill that allows Georgians now to carry concealed handguns without a permit. Um, But in this instance, he was more than willing to go on the attack against David Perdue, if anything, to show that, hey, um, law enforcement has, you know, there's a number of sheriffs and and local police chiefs and others in the law enforcement um, industry who have backed Governor Kemp's re-election campaign. And I, I'm guessing he'll use these comments uh, to try to energize more law enforcement supporters to get behind his campaign. Yeah, it's always really been no man's land, especially for Republicans, to criticize law enforcement in any way, shape or form. And David Perdue was really focused on the leadership of the Georgia State Patrol, but he really said they're just not elite anymore. It's just not the group and outfit that they used to be. And that kind of sounded like a criticism of all of the Georgia State Patrol, not just the leadership. And the tone from Governor Kemp there did not sound like your typical sort of like lob and volley of the campaign. He got really offended by that. He is extremely attached to this Georgia State Patrol. When uh, crime in Buckhead in particular was spiraling out of control during the pandemic, he brought in a unit from the Georgia State Patrol on the weekends. They had different rules of engagement than the Atlanta Police Department. And um, they had a lot of success. They worked hand in hand with the mayor's office. And it was what he really believed to be a success story. And he feels like they have replicated that elsewhere in the state. And um, he was really mad when he was talking about uh, talking about the state patrol and defending that. And he did get off message to do that. But I think they it's another criticism of Kemp that Kemp's people can't quite make sense of. Like, why are you criticizing the state patrol? Why are you criticizing teacher pay raises, which David Perdue has also criticized as election year giveaways, as well as tax cuts? He's criticized them as election year gimmicks and giveaways. I think he used and the so word disgusting, you, right? Yes, exactly. So you these this sniping over policy feels very personal, and um, it's very genuine. It doesn't seem cooked up. They are really getting very, very angry with each other. And um, it, I think we're just starting to see the real 
um, the real kind of emotional toll of this. It's I don't think it's costing either one of them anything. They're not like sad and depressed by it, but, but they're really going after each other. And it's not just for show. Yeah. And remember, this is a governor, too, who for years now has gone unannounced often to um, to law enforcement funerals, to funerals of of, of police officers, sheriff's deputies killed in the line of duty or who, who you know, who died from illnesses. Um, and so this is someone who has always said back the blue, who has put that support of law enforcement really at a core place in his campaign and has alleged uh, wrongly, by the way, but has alleged that that Stacey Abrams and Democrats want to, quote unquote, defund the police. Um, so, you know, it's an issue that I'm sure is about to get a lot more attention. But the underlying reason he was out in Douglasville was why he, he was he was signing this constitutional carry bill, in his words, um, that is a dramatic expansion of gun rights in Georgia, something that other Republican governors um, had 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 not endorsed, had not gone so far as putting political capital behind. And really, it was a key promise of, of Governor Kemp's 2018 campaign. But even after he made that promise. You didn't see him make it a priority really until this year, until after David Perdue got in the race. Um, whether or not it was Perdue's involvement in the race, we have no, no idea um, because there was reasons he, that Governor Kemp didn't put political capital behind it last year and the year before. There's other issues that were, that were pressing, including the pandemic um, and um, some criminal justice issues after the Ahmaud Arbery murder, um, hate crimes legislation, um, things like that. But what we do know is that Governor Kemp corralled legislative leaders in early January and said, hey, this is going to happen. And it did. Um, the governor was asked why he's doing this despite polls showing that, and this is an AJC poll from a few years ago, that showed that the idea is not popular. Here's what he said. I'll, tell, I'll tell you what my wife always tells me. They hadn't called me to ask my opinion yet. So I think when you poll every day, Georgians, they're scared. I mean, look, people don't have to carry if they don't want to. But this is a constitutional authority that people have, and they certainly shouldn't have a piece of paper from the government to be able to legally carry a weapon. You know, you're still going to have to go through background, uh, background checks and stores just like this when you purchase a firearm. All the laws that have all, always been in place about who can carry a weapon and who can't don't change. This just simply allows you not to have to get a piece of paper to legally carry. I mean, look, the criminals are getting the guns anyway. So meanwhile, David Perdue says he supports this, but he is trying to take a little credit for this getting done. I think that's great. It's too bad it took uh, four years to get it done, and it's too bad it took uh, me getting in the race to, for them to get any energy to get that done. The governor was asked why exactly it did take all these years to pass. Here's what he said. Well, you had to get the votes in the legislature. But look, he was in the United States Senate for six years. I don't ever remember him pushing this bill up there. It'd be great if they did that at the federal level. We wouldn't have to do it with all the states. But quite honestly, I've campaigned on this issue. The votes haven't been there, but a lot changed during COVID. A lot's changed with, you know, liberal cities, liberal mayors, liberal governors around the country that think it's a good idea to defund the police and not do real police work like we've been doing in the state of Georgia. And people are just fed up. And also when you have local probate judges that are taking a year or 16 months to issue concealed weapons permits, I mean, people can't wait that long when people are shooting your neighborhoods up. I mean, now, Patricia, you could hardly hear it, but this press conference, this little media gaggle, I should say, um, took place in a gun shop out in Douglasville shortly after he signed the bill outside. And as the governor was talking about, hey, David Perdue's had the chance to do this in, in, in Congress. I don't see him take, making any, getting any traction. Um, people in the audience were kind of saying, amen, amen, cheering on the governor. 
So I won't be shocked if the NRA ends up, ends up endorsing Governor Kemp. I won't be shocked if other gun rights groups, uh, Second Amendment advocates, those types, um, also end up endorsing Brian Kemp. Um, this was part of what we've been talking about all this time, which was he has this 40-day bill signing period to go and not just you know sign the budget and and and, and do issues like that 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 it helped gain support from a broader slice of the electorate, but also appeal directly to conservatives with, with issues like this one. Yeah. When he said, I don't know who, who you're polling because George everyday Georgians feel strongly about this. I would say everyday Republican voters feel strongly about this. Yeah. And I have been really blown away this year that at, just as the NRA has been totally hollowed out by a scandal it is as if gun rights advocates have never been more powerful in the state and they have been able to really push through the most the broadest expansion of gun rights we've seen in Georgia even as the NRA is really out of the picture there are other stronger uh, gun rights organizations that have moved into the state but this is just an incredibly powerful lobby and it is very very popular with those grassroots uh, Georgians, those grassroots GOP activists and voters. And it's an interesting theory. What if David Perdue was not in this race? What if it was already just uh, Brian Kemp against Stacey Abrams? Would this be happening? You know, we're never going to know that for sure. But this was definitely, um, you know, gun rights were absolutely front and center for Brian Kemp in his very first TV ad. He had his gun pointed at his daughter's pretend boyfriend. <laughs> Jake. Poor Jake. He's never been shy about his support for gun rights. Um, the message has changed significantly for Republicans over the years. There used to be an argument that this was about sportsmen, this is about hunting, and uh, this is about conservation. And now he is just straight up saying this is about Georgians defending themselves when the police aren't around to do it. And, um, you know, it's the old, uh, the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Um, that is a place that many Georgians are going to be very uncomfortable going down that road. I was just at a little league practice where a mom asked me about this. She's not a political person, but she said, did I just hear that right? Is, do you not even need a, a, do you need a license in Georgia anymore? So this is something that I'll be interested to see how this plays in the general election, because it's an issue that is very dynamic. Um, but Kemp obviously felt strongly enough uh, to push it front and center this year. That is such a good point too about the changing of the messaging because you're right. I mean, now it's all about public safety. You heard it from the governor's remarks just now. It's about you know feeling threatened and feeling um, nervous living in your living in your homes, uh, neighborhoods. Uh, he, he ties it to the to the protest for for racial justice and a protest against police brutality back in 2020 when demonstrators took to the streets and sometimes got violent. Right. I mean, there was there's a, a few clashes that. That where there was um, some violence and police intervention and things like that. And so that's become part of the argument now um, for, for Governor Kemp and, and his fellow Republicans. And, and believe you, you know, Patricia, I don't need you to, I didn't, Patricia, I don't need to remind you of this, but it's resonant down the ticket too with Republicans that statewide candidates beyond the governor's office and legislative candidates are all talking about this as well. But as you noted, Democrats are too. Democrat, Democrats call this criminal carry. As the governor was signing the legislation, there was a mobile billboard that was driving around saying that criminal carry will make Georgians less safe. And Democratic State Representative Roger Bruce was at a counter rally right near the bill signing just before the governor signed the bill. This is what he said. The logic that 
if we put more guns on the street, we put guns in more people's hands, that we will have less crime is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. The dumbest thing I've ever heard. Um, you know, we haven't heard Stacey Abrams chime in on too many legislative issues, but uh, her campaign is is uh, targeting what they call criminal carry as well. So I think your bet is right, Patricia, that this will continue to resonate through November. Yeah, it's amazing, though, as much as Democrats have been more assertive in defending the concept of gun safety and speaking out against gun rights expansions, Democrats have had very little success actually passing new restrictions on guns um, at the federal level, at the state level, like don't even bother. That is just not, that is a million miles away from where they are today. And so it, I think it resonates with a certain group of voters, but it certainly has not been resonant enough to give Democrats the upper hand in actually changing laws. In fact, it's going the other direction. Perfectly said. Well, let's take a quick break and we'll get back and we'll talk about the Senate contest. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, here with co-host Patricia Murphy. We are two of the three writers of The Morning Jolt along with our Washington correspondent, Tia Mitchell. And Patricia, we've got a doozy of a jolt lead for you on Wednesday. Yes, it's a doozy. Um, so uh, Herschel Walker, first-time candidate, is not deeply uh, entrenched in federal issues. Why would he be? Um, but I was really interested to learn that he has been doing policy time during his days on the campaign, uh, sitting down and hearing from policy experts and uh, the, who are helping to really background him and formulate him on his positions on federal policy. And a lot of them are names you'd know. And that'll be in The Jolt. And The Jolt is only available for subscribers to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And if you want to get your newsletter every morning and all of our content, you can go to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. And your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. What a deal. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. So you always know what's really going on. And we can't wait for you to read the joke. Uh, but it's a perfect segue because our next segment, we're going to talk about Herschel Walker and his Senate campaign. And I wrote that he's on cruise control. You wrote about his velvet rope strategy, which I love that phrasing and might steal it. Um, but, 
But you know, I think our, our, our big, biggest reminder of that, because we've been writing about this for a very long time now. I mean, he hasn't changed his strategy. He's ignored his rivals from the get-go. He's tried to run this above-the-board campaign where he's not going to deign to speak about Gary Black or Kelvin King or Lathan Sadler even once. His campaign pretty much ignores all their hits. Every so often, they'll swoop in, but then they'll go back to ignoring. And that's because he's at 50s, high 50s, 60s, even 70s in some of these polls. But we had this big reminder of that strategy. The first major Republican Senate debate out in the 9th District in Gainesville over the weekend, um, when there was an empty podium that represented Herschel Walker, but his absence was not forgotten. And among the first to note it was Gary Black, the Agriculture Secretary. Let's listen to him. Now, there's an obvious vacancy tonight. I wish Herschel was here, but he is not. I think I know why. I'm also certain that every coach that he had in the past instructed him that you'll not play in the game if you don't show up for practice. But his coaches now have him locked in the basement of the locker room. I think it's a shame. Locked in the basement. So, of course, that's meant to evoke the Biden basement strategy. But, Patricia, you wrote it's less of a Biden basement strategy and more of a velvet rope sort of exclusive club atmosphere. And I think you're right. I, I, I believe you're right. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. You you should believe I'm right. I, you are right. Um, <laughs> well, so what I think we've been able to see about Herschel Walker, it's not that he's doing nothing because he certainly is doing events and he is doing a lot of interviews and his campaign will email us periodically once we when we note that he does not talk to us <laughs> email us he's done 140 interviews including you know 60 local georgia interviews um but i've really wanted to dig into what exactly that means to have an interview and herschel walker's interviews have included and this is since he's become a, a senate candidate um interviews with a mixed martial arts podcast um interviews with a lot of football podcasts sports podcasts local uh talk radio in georgia and the inevitably the conversations begin it's and it's usually men wow man you look great. Wow, man, you really, you're in great shape. Wow, man, how many sit-ups a day do you do? Wow, man, you look like you could get in the ring tomorrow. You know, it's just this absolute fawning over Herschel Walker. These are not normal interviews. And he has done um, some interviews that push him a little. He has done WSB TV. He's done uh, WAGA here in Georgia. I mean, here in Atlanta. Um, those are short interviews, though. Um, and they were early on in the campaign. And so these were, there, there's not this constant um, or even consistent or even existing opportunity for reporters to ask him uh, difficult questions, follow-up questions, even open-ended questions about his campaign, just to get to know who he is, why he's running, and to share that with a broader audience. Right now, it is a very curated audience of conservatives, sports fans, men who want to look like Herschel Walker. There's just this really weird cross-section of envy over Herschel Walker's muscles. But it's not a Senate campaign. We are not pushing Herschel Walker on answers. I really believe Georgians deserve to know, um, not even hard questions. And there are a lot of hard questions too. So he's avoiding those. And then he is doing events, but I don't know how a regular Georgian would go to one of those. You have to know about it in advance. 
you have to be following the right GOP county committee. Facebook groups. Yeah, he's doing Facebook group. You know, it's on a Facebook group here and there. I never know where he's going to be. They tell us after the fact. Um, it's hard to know where he's going to be. And even then, it may be a paid fundraiser. Um, it may be out of state. It may be a paid speech he's giving. It's He's just not an accessible candidate right now. And he's running away with this thing in the polls. And uh, that, to me, is uh, a problem. Yeah, that's because of his high name recognition. That's because of Donald Trump's endorsement. That's because of Mitch McConnell, maybe a little bit too. It's just because he has all those factors lining up for him. And he's using that celebrity. But as you noted in your story, um, he's done of the media interviews he's done more than half of them are from national outlets. So, um, so he's he's been relying on Fox News and ESPN and, and national outlets like that. Uh, also, you, I thought this was hilarious, but you noted one of the podcast interviews he did was with a, a host of, of a show that didn't even seem like they they didn't even know he's running for office. They asked him, "What are you up to these days?" And he goes, "I'm running for Senate." <laughs> oh wait, what? <laughs> yeah, he said, yeah, I'm moving for work. They're like, oh, what are you doing for work? He's like, I'm running for Senate in Georgia. Like, oh, wow. Okay, <laughs> this yeah. was during the Senate campaign. And this is one of the interviews that is on his interview sheet. I have done an interview. Not really. Not really. Yeah, they're <laughs> not exactly asking about that. his his history or his stances on the infrastructure bill or whatever. Um, and, you know, it was really interesting because you also contrasted him with David Perdue, who in 2020 and in 2021, during the runoff campaign, as we well remember, stayed, tried to stay away from the media, especially Metro Atlanta, had very, very few events in Atlanta. And if he did, it was like a really quick hit and then moved on to to some other private fundraiser or something like that. Um, when I did get a heads up about his events, it was very short notice. And um, very rarely did he take questions after those events. I remember there was one scrum out and there was one event out in Canton, Georgia, where he was supposed to do a Q&A along with Kelly Leffler afterwards for the media. And instead of um, doing that, uh, he let Kelly Leffler kind of stand by herself to take the <laughs> questions and he disappeared into the crowd yeah. doing selfies. It was like Kaiser Sose. He would just like melt away. But We're like, where did he go? You contrasted Herschel Walker with David Perdue now who is taking the opposite strategy because he's the underdog. Let's be honest, right? It's not because he had some awakening. It's because he's behind in the polls and needs the media attention. But even so, he's taking the op- opposite stance and now we have abundant opportunities to go interview David Perdue. You saw him a few hours ago. I've seen him plenty, right? Um, There's lots of chances to go hear David Perdue in action. Whereas like if we had any one of those opportunities two years ago, I would have dropped everything, canceled events, skipped my kid's softball game, you know, did whatever. Now I'm like, I told, I told his campaign the other day, oh, sorry, I can't make it because I have to coach my kid's softball game. <laughs> so things are very different But now. it's making him a better candidate. He is, he takes any question David Perdue does. He talks to reporters. I've asked him a bunch of stuff um, that he was not prepped on, not primed for, not warned about. Um, he'll talk to six reporters, 10 reporters at a time. And to me, it makes him a better candidate. We ask him follow-up questions. And then voters know what they're choosing between. They know what Brian Kemp stands for because Kemp does a ton of press. And they know this time around what David Perdue stands for and why he's running and why he says he's running and how he defends that. And that, to me, is the is the choice that voters deserve. And the GOP process right now for Republican voters, to me, is really shortchanging voters. They have no idea what they're getting to run against Raphael Warnock. They know that Herschel Walker is beloved. They know that he's famous. They know that he's wealthy. 
they don't know really what he believes. They don't really know how he will perform in a debate. They don't know how he uh, is just going to react when a when a regular reporter asks him a regular question or a hard question. Um, he's done thousands of interviews. He has done thousands of media appearances. But in this context of the campaign, he is pretty locked down. Um, I personally think that's a mistake because he's got lots of media um, experience. He is quite charming with interviews um, and talks a lot about his personal experiences that are very compelling. Um, but those are really curtain. They're, they're sort of it's a velvet rope. It's curtained. It is curated. And most voters are not going to hear that before they have to choose May 24th. I will add, though, even though it's curtained and velvet roped and all that behind the exclusive club, um, he still has has made a lot of bumbling and confounding statements and just and just unforced errors, even even in. So you can understand the instinct. Yeah. So even <laughs> with to. the campaign's best efforts to shield him, to inoculate him, to sort of insulate him from all this stuff. Um he still made national news the other day when he made a bizarre statement about evolution and apes. And he still seemed like he was very confused about the Voting Rights Act and and the federal voting bills to expand voting rights named after John Lewis and even called John Lewis a senator. Um, he's given confusing statements about the infrastructure package and whether he would have supported it or not. Um, and just a, a, a number of, of just errors that will come back, probably come back to haunt him in some form or fashion from Democrats. So even despite all that, you know, that limited access that we have, the the peep shows we have been able to see, I shouldn't use the word peep shows, the <laughs> glimpses we have seen at his campaign <laughs> and their interoperations, um, there have been some pretty bad gaffes. And we've written about a lot of them um, from lies about that, that he graduated from UGA, which of course he famously did not graduate from UGA, um, to participating in a, or plans to participate in a fundraiser hosted by someone who used a swastika in the shape of vaccines as, as, yeah. as her Who's, sort of- Who still did give him a large campaign donation a anyway. Yeah. So a, lot, a number of things, and just the fact that he's giving a lot, getting a lot of money, even as he's campaigning for, for Senate, he's taking a lot of money from private speeches still, which is something that generally in, tends to stop as you're campaigning for public office. Yeah. So uh, listen, I understand why his campaign is doing this. I think they're worried. Um, I think they don't want gaffes. They don't want that to be the story. He is sky high in the polls. Why would you change that? Um, but again, in terms of what voters know they're getting, they are not going to know that by May 24th. Um, and even I have been told that his campaign is going to loosen up loosen it up a little bit, um, invite press to his events, but it'll be inviting specific press for specific interviews. And so even then, it will still be kind of an invitation only situation. And that's, that is not how the United States Senate works. That is not how a public office works. No. Um, but that is the way they're choosing to do it. I think it creates an aura of, we're trying to hide something. We don't trust our candidate. Um, and I think that is, um, I, it's concerning for some Republican voters I talk to, but not concerning enough to kind of make a different choice at this stage in the game. I think you used the word curated. Yes. I like that. Curated events. And so it looks like you'll have curated press lists that we may or may not be on. We'll, yes. we'll find out. But and either we're not way, the only ones, by a, the way, he's not talked to the Savannah no, paper, no. Macon paper, Columbus, Augusta, Athens. There's lots of papers that are getting iced out. And as he's quickly well, Patricia, learned, as the Patricia, as the producer of this show, uh, we can officially extend the invitation to Mr. Walker to come on the Politically Georgia podcast. And if they're looking for qualifications, 
Greg and I like sports, and we want his muscles. So <laughs> I've got. We, we invite him on the show. Oh, <laughs> yeah, so, I'm Greg sorry. does the Peloton. Peloton. Yeah, my Peloton's got me now. Um, <laughs> no, but we will not be asking him about anything with the. With, 1980s football questions at all. Um, <laughs> we'll keep it to the politics. Um, but no, look, you know, the, the serious point is it hasn't stopped us or any other media outlets, but particularly the AJC from from doing critical reporting. Um, critical as, a, as if the important, right, important reporting, significant reporting on Herschel Walker, what he stands for, and keeping tabs of his comings and goings and his public statements. Because when we don't have access to him, trust me, we have a lot of people who leak us videos and audio that you've heard on this podcast and you've seen in the Jolt and in the front page of the newspaper. Um, so it hasn't really stopped the uh, <laughs> the torrent of coverage. It just makes it a little bit harder for us to cover him. Um, speaking of interviews, you should definitely tune into our Tuesday special edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where our friends and coworkers, the City Hall insiders, Will Nobles and J.D. Capilouto, had a fascinating interview with Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens uh, upon his 100th day in office. You should definitely check that out. And you can also count on new episodes of this podcast to come out every Wednesday and Friday. So we will see you then on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh,